Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Reminder of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering this year. We set a goal of $51,400, which will pay for one missionary to be in the field for one year somewhere around the world. And so I was asked last week if we can go ahead and give to that. You can. All the money you give now will go towards that total. If you want to wait until our Christmas Eve service, which is traditionally the, the service in which we give our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you can certainly do that. Christmas Eve service this year at 5 o'clock, and you can bring your offerings that day as well. But be in prayer about that. Be in prayer that the Lord would, would just speak to you and just lay an amount on your heart that you should give, 100% of which will go to overseas missions to reach people for Christ. Let me pray for us now. We're going to start. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for an incredible time of worship, a reminder through song of your faithfulness, of your power, of your glory, Father. It's, it's the same message we're going to get in the gospel this morning. It's the same message we see all through Scripture. It's the same message we see in our lives, Lord. And so you make yourself just plain to us, evident to us, clear to us, so we can, we can seek you, we can hear from you, we can understand you. And then, Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit, as we do every Sunday morning, that we could be transformed, Father, more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. We're going to continue our study this morning through the book of Genesis As you're finding Genesis chapter 23, I'll just remind you, we've studied Abraham and Lot and the birth of Isaac. And then last week we came to a very challenging passage of Scripture, a very challenging chapter, a chapter in which the Lord asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, the very son of the promise, the son that the Lord says through whom all the descendants will come. The Lord says, take your son and go to the top of the mountain and sacrifice. And you remember the story. Abraham is obedient. Three days journey. He gets to the mountain. He gives the wood to Isaac. Isaac climbs up the mountain. We talked about the similarities between Christ and Isaac and the sacrifice of the son. He gets to the top. The Bible says that Abraham ties his son up, lays him in the altar. And I just envision in my mind this picture of Abraham with the knife drawn back right as the Lord says, wait. Abraham looks and the Bible says that there's, there's a ram caught in the thicket. It's a, it's a picture of God's salvation. It's a picture of, of, of his mercy. It's a picture of, of him allowing the son to live. And then centuries later, it's a picture of how he would give his very son, how he would provide the sacrifice. And so it's a, it's a turning point in the life of Abraham. It's really a, a crossroad as we see his struggle through the years and we see his faithfulness. And then the, the Lord reminds him, if you're there in 23, you can look back very quickly in Genesis 22, verse 16, the Lord reminds him, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder of the promise. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of Abraham and a reminder of the promise and the power of the Lord. 
Now we move beyond that story, a real turning point in our, in our study through the book of Genesis to chapter 23. Now we're going to do something this morning that we don't usually do. We're going to cover two chapters. And not only are we going to cover two chapters, but the chapter we're going to cover, 24, is actually the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And so I'm going to summarize 23, and then I want to hit the high points in 24, because I think there's a theme that runs throughout 24 that's important for us to see. But I want to read for you Genesis 23, beginning in verses 1 and 2. I think we have it on the screen for you. Genesis 23, beginning in verse 1. Sarah, of course, this is the wife of Abraham, lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. This is the death of this faithful woman, this woman that although at times has struggled to understand the truth, struggled to understand the will of the Lord, she's been faithful, she's been obedient, the Lord has used her, the time has come for her to pass away, and the Bible tells us Abraham's now going to mourn for her. Now really, the remainder of Genesis 23 is very interesting, because what's going to happen over the next several verses as Abraham is going to kind of bargain for the land to bury her in. In fact, if you were to read through verses 3 on down to verse 18, you would see that he's going to go and discuss where he can bury her. Can he buy some land? Can he buy a cave? There's some negotiations that go on, and it points to the importance in Abraham's mind of burying her in the promised land. It's a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness of what the Lord has given, the Lord has provided, and so Abraham wants to bury her in the promised land. He finds a place to bury her. He makes the arrangements. Now skip down to verse 19 of Genesis 23. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. It's just a reminder of the love between Abraham and his wife. It's a reminder of the promises again. It's a reminder of the importance of the land of Canaan and the promised land. Now I want to go into Genesis 24 and I want to spend the rest of the sermon in Genesis 24 because there's a theme that's going to run throughout 24. So if you're taking notes and you're writing things down, you can kind of title Genesis chapter 24 really the faithfulness of the Lord. Now many Bibles entitle it Isaac and Rebekah. Many people talk about the marriage, and we're going to talk about that, and the way that the Lord brings them together. We're going to talk about all that. But I think the theme that runs throughout 24, as I study through this, I've told you this before in my preparation each week. I always study through, and I pray through, and I want to kind of understand what's the big picture, Lord? Why did you give us this? Why did you make Genesis 24 the longest chapter in Genesis? That's very interesting to me. It's longer than the account of creation. (laughs) It's longer than the promises the Lord has given to Abraham. It's longer than the the story of of the sacrifice of Isaac. This is the longest chapter in Genesis. So for whatever reason, the Lord wanted us to spend time studying it. What's the main idea? And the more I studied, the more I prayed, and the more I tried to understand it, I kept coming to this conclusion. It's a reminder of the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, let me tell you why that's important. That's important because some of you came this morning questioning the faithfulness of the Lord, didn't you? Some of you are struggling at work. Some of you are struggling at home. There's something going on in your life. And at some point in the last recent time, in the last few weeks or months, maybe you've questioned the faithfulness of the Lord. Lord, are you really still there? Some of you would say. Do you you really still work in my life, Lord? 
Do you really still know that I'm down here, Father? Because it seems like I'm all alone sometimes. So some of you need to be around, all of us, frankly, but some of us more so than others, need to be reminded of the promises and the faithfulness of the Lord. Genesis 24 is going to do that because what we're going to see is the Lord's hand at work time and time and time again. So with that in mind, let's delve right into Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. We have the scripture on the screen as well. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And what, what a, a great summary of the life of Abraham. What a place I would like to be one day. Man, if you said to me one day, Adam was now very old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way, what a way to live a life. In obedience to the Lord, verse 2, he said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, right? It's going to be, a, it's going to be an oath he's going to take here in verse 3. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Remember, the Canaanites were wicked they were unfaithful, they were, they were evil people. And so Abraham says, look, you've got to find a, a wife for my son Isaac. Don't do it among the Canaanites whom I'm living. Verse 4, but go to my country, my own relatives, get a wife for my son Isaac. Right? So go to this place, find a wife for him there. Verse 5, so the servant asked, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Remember, he's separated from there. He's come to the promised land. He's remembered the faithfulness of the Lord. I'm not going back there. You don't take him back, but I want you to find him a wife. So verse 6, make sure you don't take my son back, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now we're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord in lots of different ways throughout this chapter. Here's the first way we're going to see it. We're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord because, number one, God is going to continue his promise through Isaac, Abraham's son. God is going to continue his promise through Isaac, Abraham's son. In other words, God has made this promise to Abraham. We've already seen that throughout Scripture. He's promised to bless Abraham. He's promised to make him into a great nation, into great descendants. He's going to bless those that bless him. We, we've seen this story God's going to promise to bless Abraham, but now we've reached kind of this critical juncture, right? Because Abraham is an old man. Abraham is well advanced in years. He's been promised this descendant. He's been promised this great nation. But he looks at his son Isaac, the promised son, and he realizes something that is troublesome to him. At the age of 40, which we would see if we were to continue studying Genesis 25, we'll see that next week. At the age of 40, Isaac at this point still doesn't have a wife. So Abraham says, Lord, you've promised me to do this. You've promised to make my descendants great. You've promised to work through Isaac, my son. You've promised to make me into a great nation. But this son of mine does not yet have a wife. And so he says to his servant, you need to go make an oath to me. You're going to go back. You're going to find a woman suitable. Bring her back to marry my son. And the servant asked the question that many of us probably would ask. Well, Lord, what if I get there and I find a woman I think is suitable and the woman refuses? 
And then we see this picture again, this reminder in verse 7. Pull that back up for me, Wanda, if you would, please. We see a reminder of the faithfulness of Abraham. Here's the response. If the woman won't come back, Abraham, what do I do? Abraham says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son. Here's what Abraham understands that we need to understand. If we're seeking the Lord and trusting him and placing our faith in him, he is going to go before us and prepare the way before we get there. Do you understand that? Do you understand that whatever struggle you're walking through right now, the Lord has already gone ahead of you and is preparing a way when you get there? Have you ever thought about that? What a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of the Lord. Lord, you say, I don't have any idea where I'm going or where this is leading. What's going to happen tomorrow? The Lord said, I've already got a plan. I've already gone ahead of you. I've already prepared the hearts of these people. I've already worked on this situation. Whatever you're struggling with, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just walk through this with me, says the Lord, if you'll just trust me, I've already gone ahead of you and I've already prepared a way. Now, I think it's interesting. It's kind of a side note. It probably could be a whole sermon, maybe even a whole sermon series. But it's interesting to me that Abraham takes a very keen liking. He he sees the importance of the wife of his son. And so I I made a a note here. I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. The future spouse of your child should be a matter of great prayer to you. Mom, dad. You should take an interest in your child's spouse. You ever thought about that? See, it's, again, we're, we're applying this idea of faith and trust and faithfulness to the Lord. We're saying we believe it. Are we applying it to our lives in such a way that we're actually praying for the spouse of our child years ahead? Now, that's not something I do probably as often as I should, frankly, but there are plenty of times in my life, and I plan to keep doing it, where I pray for the husband of my daughters, and I pray for the wife of my son. Now, I don't have any idea who those people are going to be yet, but the Lord does. And you know what he's already done? He's already gone ahead. See that? That scripture we just looked at. He's already gone ahead. He's already planning and preparing. He wants us to come along beside him and trust him. Lord, I trust you enough. I trust you enough that whoever my child's going to marry, my grandchild's going to marry, I want to pray for that person. I want to pray that my daughter's husbands are going to be godly men. That's what I want to pray for. I want to pray they love the Lord. I want to pray, Lord, they're willing to serve you regardless of what it costs them. I want to pray that they love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to pray that they're going to be a leader within that home. I want to pray for the spouse of my child. Why? Because the Lord's gone ahead of me. The Lord's already preparing a path. But some of us get mired down in kind of where we are. We get, we get so focused on the here and now, we can't see past our own noses. We can't understand that God's got a plan. We can't understand that God's preparing a way. Now, some of you are already saying, I, I, I can hear the questions because sometimes I ask them myself, wait a minute, Adam. <laughs> this is a beautiful picture of Abraham and, and how he trusts the Lord and how he realizes that the, the Lord's going to go ahead of him. And that, that's a beautiful picture for him. But the Lord spoke to him clearly, Adam. 
I mean, we, we see that in Scripture time and time again. In fact, the Lord actually came to him as a man one day and had a conversation. So we know that the Lord spoke to Abraham and gave him a path and helped him understand. He go, how, you might say, am I supposed to know what the Lord's saying to me? And we struggle with this, don't we? How am I supposed to know? I'm, I'm so busy and caught up in all these things. How am I supposed to know the Lord's speaking to me and the direction that he wants me to walk in my life? Well, let me just remind you of a very simple passage that we've all heard a thousand times and we probably just glaze right over it. Matthew six thirty three: Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. God says, just trust me. <laughs> just work on your walk with me. Just seek my righteousness just seek my plan in your life and my kingdom, and then I'll take care of all this stuff for you. I, I did a search this week. I was interested. You know, Google's got a lot of bad things on it, but there's a lot of good things on it, too. You ought to search just the promises of God. You can search it. And website after hundreds and hundreds, really thousands of verses pop up. The promises. You should spend some time one day, if you're ever down and you're not quite sure what the Lord's doing in your life, you're not sure if he wants to use you, just search the promises of the Lord. All the things he's promised to give. I I wrote a few of them down. Psalm 50, chapter 15. Call on me in the day of the trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. You know, when you're in trouble, the Lord's going to deliver you if you trust him. You ever thought about that? That, That's a promise the Lord makes to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. That's a promise. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can actually put the old behind you and you can move into the new. How many people do we know that are just kind of dogged by the past? You ever known that person? They're just struggling with what they used to do and who they used to be and how the, Lord, uh, how the devil used to do these things and they just remember all that used to be and they forgot that they're new in Christ. Did you know that? That's a promise of the Lord. You don't have to wonder if that's true. It is true. God says, take the old and throw it away because now you're new in me. James 5, 17, submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're being attacked by Satan, trust the Lord, resist the devil. And the Bible says he's going to flee from you. On and on these promises go, on and on this list goes. There, there's so many promises of the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to work in your life. You, you've just got to trust me. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. This is Paul's prayer to the church at Philippi. In all things, my prayer for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, here it is. Listen to this. Being confident of this. Here's what Paul says I'm confident about. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You understand that? See, God's faithfulness is demonstrated in the life of Abraham. It's demonstrated in the life of Isaac. It's demonstrated in our lives. Why? Because he promises if we're faithful to complete the work he started. Man, if you're struggling with something in life right now, you need to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 10. So the servant left. He took 10 of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of goods, things from his master. He set out from Aram, Naharim, and he made his way to the town of Nahor. And, and scholars debate, but most people think this was a several months worth of a journey. This wasn't just an overnight trip for him. So he made it to this place. Verse 11, he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward the evening, and the women were going out to draw water. And then he prayed. 
Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be, now here's the request in verse 14. May it be that when I see a young woman, that when I, excuse me, may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll give water to your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, verse 15, before he had finished praying, isn't that interesting? Just the expediency of the Lord, his desire to answer and go before. Before he'd even finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the son, excuse me, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Now, we've seen God's faithfulness because his promise is going to continue through Isaac. Now, number two, we're going to see God's faithfulness because God is going to answer the prayers of Abraham's servant. Again, there's this picture of the faithfulness of the Lord. He's going ahead. He's preparing a way. He's working in the lives. He's working in the life of Abraham, of his servant, of Isaac. Now he's going to answer specifically the prayer of this servant. But the servant's going to do something very interesting here in verse 14. He's going to kind of give the Lord a challenge. Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you for a sign. In other words, I want you to give me a sign, Lord, that you're at work. He says, the first woman I speak to, I'm going to say, can I have a drink? And if she offers to give me a drink, and then she offers to give my camels a drink as well, I'll know that this is the one for Isaac. I just finished reading a book called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. It's a fascinating read. If you have any interest in, in Islam and, and kind of what's going on in the current world and, and Muslims especially coming to Christ, and by the way, you should know this, there are thousands, and I said that right, thousands of Muslims coming to Christ every day around the world. You need to know that. That's true. This book is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and it's the story about this young man who grew up in a Muslim home. Pakistan background, his family moved to the States when he was young because of a job his father took and so when he gets into college, he befriends this guy who's a Christian. So now you've got these two young men in college. One's a devout Muslim, the other's a devout Christian. And it's kind of about their relationship. And from early on in the relationship, they begin to have discussions about their faith. And what you begin to see is, is the Christian witnesses and, and the, the Muslim witnesses, they kind of go back and forth. And it's kind of this guy's thought process, this, this Muslim's thought process. And he, as he thinks through his faith and he begins to think through the idea of Christianity. Because what happens is he, for the first time in his life, he begins to really examine Islam. And he begins to study the Quran and speak to imams and ask the hard questions that nobody had answered before. And he begins to realize that there are problems with that faith. There are all sorts of problems with it. And he begins to realize, it's interesting as, as the book kind of goes, it's like a pendulum is shifting, right? He's solidly in, in the camp of Allah and Muhammad. And, and that pendulum begins to shift ever so slightly towards Christianity. And he gets to this point where he's examined all the, the cases of the Quran and talked to the imams and he can't find the answers. And he's beginning to study the Bible more. And he's beginning to realize it is accurate, and it is what it says it is. And he's got all this historical accounts he's been studying and reading. And, and he's beginning to believe more and more. But there comes this, this kind of important moment in the book 
where he says to the Lord, Lord, I'm just right there. I'm I'm just right there willing to accept Christ. But Lord, he says, you have to understand, if I do this, my entire life changes. And that's the thing in the book that really got me. I'd I'd consider the idea of a Muslim accepting Christ and what it would do to their family. But he kind of walked through the process of how it would just destroy his mother and destroy his father and how they would be brokenhearted. And he just went into great detail about what that would look like. And he said, Lord, if this is real, you've got to show me. You've got to give me a sign. And he prays that the Lord will give him just a very clear sign. In the next chapter, he outlines the three different dreams the Lord gave him to make it clear about who Christ was in his life. It's powerful. And by the way, if you don't understand what's going on with Muslims having dreams about Christ around the world, you should spend an hour on the internet and read about it. It's worth your time. You will not be disappointed. There are Muslims all over the world that have dreams of Christ. It's happening on a very regular basis, leading these people to faith in Jesus Christ. But he asked the Lord for a sign and the Lord clearly spoke to this man through his dreams. I want to be very clear here. If you ask the Lord for a sign, he's under no obligation to do that for you. Let's just be clear, okay? We don't don't want to put anything on the Lord. We say you have to do it or else. He's not obligated to do anything. But I believe with all my heart and I think scripture teaches that if we'll pray in faith seeking the Lord, he will make himself known. If you're struggling right now and you don't quite know where to turn, seek the Lord. Trust the Lord. Pray to the Lord and ask Him to work in your life. I was reading a work by Charles Spurgeon this week. Spurgeon's a famous English pastor. Many of you are familiar with his name. And he talks about the idea of prayer and and he goes into this explanation of prayer. He said it's kind of like when we go to the bank with a check where you get paid at the end of the week. This was before direct deposit. He didn't understand that in the mid-1800s. Hey, we'll give him a pass on that. But assume you had a check. (laughs) Assume we actually used paper, like we used to in the old days, and you went to the bank and you gave it to the teller. He said, when you show up to the bank and you give that teller the check, you don't spend 30 minutes talking about the weather and wasting your time and just talking about small talk and then forget to give the teller the check, do you? He said, you walk right up to the teller, you give her the check, and you expect your money back. He said, it ought to be like that in our prayer life. We shouldn't dabble around and waste our time and think about other things and let our minds wander. We should get in our prayer closet, so to speak, and we should go right to the point, prayer to the Lord. And then when we pray to him, we ought to, in faith, believe he's going to speak to us. Because he did it in the life of Abraham. He answered the prayer of his servant. We see it all through Scripture. We see it all in the Old Testament, all in the New Testament. We see in our lives, God has already gone ahead of us. He's faithful. He wants to work. He wants to answer our prayers. Now, let's continue, verse 16. Describing this woman at the well. Now, the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. So the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from the jar. Remember, he's already prayed this. He's already said, I'm going to ask her for water. If she agrees to water the camels as well, then I'll know. So verse 18, drink, my Lord, she said. Quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, drew enough for all the camels, and without saying a word, the man watched her closely. It's almost like he's in awe. 
to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Here's truth number three. We see the faithfulness of the Lord by working through Isaac and continuing the promise. We see the faithfulness of the Lord by answering these questions and answering these prayers of the servant. And number three, we see the faithfulness of the Lord because the Lord has already prepared Rebecca's heart. The Lord has gone ahead of this man, of the servant, and he's prepared the heart of Rebecca. Now, there's some interesting things I want to point out that demonstrate how the Lord has prepared her heart here. The first thing we notice in verse 16 is that she was very beautiful. It's, it's interesting. One of the first things we read about her is that she was beautiful. Now, we would understand this as physical beauty, yes. But as we delve a little bit more into her and understand a little bit more about her in the latter part of chapter 24, we understand it wasn't just a physical exterior beauty. She had inner beauty as well. Now, I'm going to make a comment, young men, that you need to write down, okay? Guys, if you're looking for a wife, you better be sure her inner beauty matches her outer beauty. Amen, men, husbands? Because young guys, we all want a beautiful wife, right? That's, that's the dream. We want a beautiful wife. But if you don't find a woman whose beauty is filled through the inside as well as the outside, you're going to be in for a rude awakening at some point in the, in the future. Because the Lord says, I want to I give you a woman who's beautiful on the outside, yes, but the beauty of a woman who's, the beauty of the woman on the inside is, is far more important. Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? So guys, just, just one piece of advice. Find a beautiful girl, yes, but make sure she's a godly girl with beauty on the inside. You will have, I'm, I'm telling you, your life will be enjoyable for many days. If we just see the Lord, we see this with Rebecca. She was a beautiful woman on the outside, but she had beauty on the inside as well. We see another reason the Lord had gone ahead. We see another reason that the Lord had prepared her. The second thing we see in that verse is that she had saved herself for marriage. Look again, bring verse 16 back up if you would, because there are just several things in here. She was beautiful, first of all, we see that. But she was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. Now let me just comment on this just for a second, because this is not the prevailing wisdom of our day. You're not going to hear from very many places what I'm about to say. You're certainly not going to hear it in TV and movies and, and, and maybe friends. I don't know. But you're, you're not going to hear this from a lot of people. But I want you to understand something very clearly from the Word of God. Sex before marriage is a sin. And it's not God's best. You might think it's God's best. You may think it's the best in the moment. But in the end, God says, I've got a much better plan for you than that. I've got a much better plan for you than that. Now, some people buy into this lie. Well, everybody's doing it, Adam. If you only knew. Everybody's doing it. Well, let me just speak some truth to you right now. First of all, not everybody's doing it. And even if they were, it would still be wrong. See, men and women, students, at some point we kind of have to come to this place in our lives where we kind of make this decision. I'm going to do the right thing even if nobody else will. We kind of we stay on that ground. And we say, you know what, all these people around me may be doing the wrong thing. They, they may be living a life that, that, that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's okay. They can do that. That's between them and the Lord. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Remember that scripture? Students, I think you better come to a place in your life, if you haven't already done this, you kind of make this decision. I'm going to live for the Lord, even if everybody else 
doesn't. Now, some of you are saying, now, wait a minute, Adam, I hear that. I hear what you're saying. I know in my heart that you're right. But Adam, you'd say, I've already, I've already done this. I've already made this mistake. I've already kind of passed over this threshold. I've already done this. I've already, I've already walked down this path. I'm not proud of it, but that's something I've already done. What should I do? Well, here's what I want you to understand. Very simply, God offers forgiveness. In fact, 1 John tells us very clearly, very clearly, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you say, I've already made that mistake, then ask the Lord for forgiveness. He will forgive you. And then you commit yourselves to purity from this point forward. And watch how he's going to bless you. See, God had already gone ahead of this precious couple. God had already gone ahead of this servant. God was already working in the life of Rebecca because she had saved herself. She was beautiful on the inside and the outside. And then we see that not only was she beautiful, not only had she saved herself, she was compassionate. She was considerate. She was generous. This, this is becoming the perfect woman, isn't it? A beautiful woman who's virtuous, who's saved herself. She's kind and compassionate. By the way, if if you're young and looking for a spouse, folks, this is a model of what you ought to be. The Bible says not only did she serve him the water as he asked her to, but she offered to serve the camels as well. Now, for us, we have no context by which to understand this, do we? What does that mean? I'm going to feed the camels, I'm going to give them some water. What does the camel even eat? What does the camel drink? I don't know. How much water? I thought camels didn't need water. So we do a little research, we do a little digging to understand what this means. Most scholars believe that in order to give enough water for 10 camels to drink, it would have taken her about two hours to fill her jar. And the Bible says she had to walk down, so most scholars believe she had to kind of go down some steps to some sort of an underground stream and fill up a jar. Now, this is a young woman. She can't carry a big pot of water. She's not strong enough. A jar, she fills it up, and she goes back. She pours it in the trough, and she goes back again, and she fills the jar. Ten camels, two to three hours. You see how generous she was. You see how willing she was to give. And so I ask you the question, husband, wife, How willing are you to serve in your marriage? How willing are you to give of yourself? Are you willing to kind of go the extra mile or do you sit back and wait for the other person to serve you? (laughs) See, if you want to be a virtuous wife or a virtuous husband, a godly husband, a godly wife, you you ought to look for opportunities to serve. You, you really should live your life like Christ lived his life, thinking this in my marriage. What can I give to my spouse to serve him or her? That, that's really what your marriage ought to look like. Student, if you think you're going into marriage to get something, you're probably going to be disappointed. You ought to go into marriage looking for ways you can serve your spouse and glorify the Lord. That's what marriage really is about. That's what the Bible says we ought to be doing in our walk. So we see this virtuous woman, she was, she was beautiful, she had saved herself, she was giving, she was generous, she was kind, and, and, and finally, the, the kind of the, the final straw, she was obedient to the Lord. They, they go back to her house, we're going to kind of summarize this because we don't have time to read all this chapter, but they go back to her house, they explain all the Lord has done, and they basically ask Rebecca this question, are you willing to go? And she says very simply, I will. I trust the Lord is at work. I believe that he's moved in my heart, and so I'm going to go. And then pick it up in verse 67, 64. We're going to finish up this morning with this. I think we have it on the screen as well. So they make the long trek back. We may not have it on the screen. I may have left that. That's okay. They make the long trek back, verse 64. 
Rebecca looked up and she saw Isaac and she got down from her camel. She asked the servant, who's the man in the field coming to meet us? It's kind of this interesting. She doesn't even know who, who it is and she's excited to meet him. He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. By the way, I'm not going to get into this. Man, what a picture of modesty. There's a whole sermon right there at the end of verse 65. Girls, it really is just about modesty. You should remember that word because that's not very common in our society today. Verse 66, then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, right? His mother has already passed away. We saw that in 23. Now, this is a point of significance for her because now she's the most important woman in the camp. He brings her into the tent of his mother. He marries Rebecca. She becomes his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's a picture of the faithfulness of the Lord. And I want to finish with this this morning. I started with this idea. I want to finish with it. Some of you this morning are struggling. You brought all sort of baggage with you. you you've got all, things, all sorts of issues going on in, maybe in your home or at work or personal. Or you fill in the blank. Maybe you came with very little hope. Maybe your faith is wavering. Not, maybe you're not quite sure where to turn. I, I just want to encourage you. If you don't remember anything else I say this morning, remember this simple phrase. God is faithful. Period. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter the illness, the sickness, the issues with children, work, personal, sin, whatever you're struggling with, God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. All you've got to do is give yourself to the Lord and then watch him bless your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word, Father, as we understand your faithfulness, as we understand your power, as we understand your promises. Lord, I pray that this truth would just resonate within our hearts. Wherever we are, whatever we're struggling with, whatever baggage we brought into this service this morning, Father, I pray you would remind us just very clearly, you're faithful. And you already have gone ahead of us. You've already prepared our way, Lord. You're answering prayers. You're working in our hearts. You're working in the hearts of others. Lord, you're working in the hearts of people we're going to encounter tomorrow and next week and next year. And Lord, we have no idea what all that means. We don't, we don't know where to turn. We just understand if we'll be faithful to you, you'll guide us. And so, Lord, you comfort us. You give us strength. You give us the ability to hear from you. We're going to give you the praise and the honor and glory for everything you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple of minutes. If you want to come pray at the altar, it's open, of course. Maybe you need to pray about your walk, about somebody else's walk, about a struggle you're facing. Maybe you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ or join the church. But this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.